It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by the New York Lottery on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, and Lance Meadow with you. The phone number for you to give us a call is 973-667-1960. As a reminder, we'll have one line, so if it's busy, just keep trying. You will eventually get through. And don't forget that Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of our Giants podcast network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of this show and all of our programs, including the Giants Huddle podcast, at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and on all your favorite podcast platforms. Big Blue Kickoff 5 is presented by the X-Series from the New York Lottery. The scratch-offs multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Guys, the final football game of the 2020 season is two days away down in Tampa Bay. The Kansas City Chiefs sort of visiting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in what's technically a neutral field game, but obviously it's being played in the Bucs' home stadium. Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. Steve Spagnuolo versus Todd Bowles. Bruce Arians versus Andy Reid. Go down the list. It should be an excellent ball game. Guys, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, John. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Let's get to it. And I always like to look back at the first matchup between these teams to give an idea of what we're looking at. And while both teams have changed a lot, I wouldn't put much into the results of that first game. I will say this, and this is my bottom line for this game on Sunday. And we can expand from here. Unless the Buccaneers can just dominate the line of scrimmage so much with their pass rush that Patrick Mahomes can't function, And given Mahomes' mobility and Andy Reid's creativity, I find that to be unlikely. I do not see how this Tampa Bay secondary can slow down the Chiefs' passing attack. And I have trouble getting past that to figure out a way how the Bucs can win this game unless Tom Brady puts up, you know, 45 points or something like that, which I don't think Steve Spagnuolo will allow him to do. So do you guys think... Again, spare their defensive ends, just dominating the the Chiefs' tackles that the Bucks have any hope of slowing down this Chiefs' offense? I'd be very surprised if that happens. I think that in order for Tampa Bay to win this game, I think they need explosive plays, multiple explosive plays from somebody not named Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, which we've seen at times. But I'm not just talking about one play from Tyler Johnson and one play from Scotty Miller. I think you need multiple plays. And as far as your point about playing the trenches, go back to last year's Super Bowl. The Niners sacked Patrick Mahomes four times, and they still lost the game by 11. Hey, good point. So I don't really think that even if Tampa Bay sacks Mahomes five times, that that's a recipe for winning because Mahomes and the Chiefs, it's the type of offense that they can easily back themselves out of a corner and then get out of that big hole that they dug themselves into. So it really doesn't matter, in my opinion. To me, this is more on the Tampa Bay offense. The Tampa Bay offense has to be efficient on pretty much every possession. And if they don't get turnovers like they've done all postseason, which is another reason why I'm not very high on Tampa Bay, I think eventually that luck runs out. If you don't have a short field, they're going to have to put together 75 to 80-yard drives, and they're going to have to do it four to five times over the course of the game. I know Kansas City could do that. I'm not sold that Tampa Bay could do that. Yeah, and Paul, I'll just go back to their first meeting. It looks like a close game, 27-24 the final. it wasn't. No, exactly. It was 27-10 heading into the fourth quarter. And if you look at inside the box score a little bit, if the Chiefs just do a little bit better in the red zone, they gained 543 yards of total offense in that game. The Bucs tried to play man. Tyreek Hill burnt them deep. Then the Bucs tried to play zone. And Travis Kelsey tore them a new one in the middle of the defense. So I just don't know what the answers are going to be for Tampa Bay here. Yeah, and let's not forget in that Kansas City game, the Chiefs had 10 penalties marked off against them. They actually did not play particularly well, and yet they were munching the Buccaneers like a food processor until the fourth quarter when Tampa Bay got some backdoor touchdowns to make the score respectable. Uh, Yeah, I don't see any way if the Chiefs just play their game, I don't see any way they lose. I have them winning by a touchdown, maybe even a little more. I think that in in my opinion here, it's really simple. 
uh, unless Kansas City is at least minus two in turnover ratio, and I mean at least. They have to be mi- they might even have to be minus three to lose this game. That that's how convinced I am that this is a Chiefs win. And by the way, guys, and you mentioned turnover ratio. And I agree. I think the Bucks definitely have to win that in order to win the game. Part of that's getting takeaways, right? The other part is Tampa Bay not turn the ball over themselves. And the one difference I think we've seen with Tom Brady this year, and I think it has to do with the system he's been putting to with, with Bruce Arians and, and how he wants to move the ball and things like that, he's much more turnover prone this year than he has been in years past. Just look at that game against the Packers in the NFC Championship game. He had three interceptions in that game. And he can't make those mistakes. And you know Steve Spagnuolo is going to try to blitz in, in some spots, disguise coverage in others, move things around. Teron Matthews, a playmaker in the middle of that defense, they're going to try to put Brady into some situations and trap him where he has some of those mistakes, Lance, because Brady, you know, and I think it is the system, right? I mean, you saw Jameis Winston a couple years ago with his bajillion turnovers, and obviously Brady has not been to that extent, but he's certainly had more interceptions this year than we've seen from him in past years. Yeah, but to your point, I mean, it's night and day compared to what Jameis did. Of course. And that was their goal. Their goal was if we could cut the turnovers in half, which is essentially what they did, if not better, then we're going to win a few more games. And that philosophy came to fruition, and I don't think anybody in that Tampa Bay organization has any complaints. Yeah, oh, of Brady course certainly not. takes some risks. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I think a few of the throws he'd want back against the Packers, where it was more of a jump ball, hey, see if somebody's going to go up and make a play, and then it turned out to be an opportunity for the Packers. The problem is Green Bay didn't do anything with those takeaways. So the Bucks were very fortunate because Green Bay won the turnover battle, yet they still lost the game. And, you know, that I think enters the other part of the equation. Paul brought up that Tampa Bay hopefully will be plus three in this game. I agree, but I also am more interested in what Tampa Bay does with the plus three, meaning do they continue to turn these takeaways into touchdowns? I'll give you numbers, guys, which I think is quite ridiculous and a big reason why the Bucks have gotten this far. They've had seven takeaways this postseason. Six of them were legitimate chances to score following the takeaway because mm-hmm. I'm removing the one that ended the Saints game. You don't have an opportunity to score. You're just running out the right. clock at that point. So of those six legitimate opportunities, they scored a touchdown on all six of them. I mean, that's an unreal rate that we're talking about. So even if they're fortunate enough to get Mahomes and company to turn the ball over twice, are they going to continue this rate? They're going to score two touchdowns? I mean, you have to do that against Kansas City. You don't just take the ball away from them. You then have to punch it in the end zone. That's another big reason why the Bucks have had a great deal of success that I don't think a lot of people are emphasizing when previewing this game. Yeah, no question about it, Lance. I'm with you. And you have to do something with those takeaways. And, Paul, when you look back and you think about, and we talked about this with Michael Eisen a little bit on Wednesday, but I want to ask you because you obviously have a great recollection of the game. What were some of the things Spags did to Brady back in 2007 that you really think made a difference in that contest? Well, as I recall, uh, the Pats did not have a completed pass of more than 20 yards in that game. And, you know, it was obvious that they were not going to get beat deep. Now, what most people don't understand, besides the confusion and the looks that the Giants gave, because they were faking blitzes left and right, they were, they were doing all kinds of different formations and doing different things out of them to literally try to get Brady's head in a scramble, and it, and it worked. Obviously, he, he was not as comfortable or as efficient for, for a lot of that game as he usually was. But, but I think the thing about it is, when you go back to that game and you think about, all right, the Giants controlled the clock and they took a lot of pressure off the defense. Remember, the opening drive in, in Arizona, they went down and even though they settled for a Tynes field goal, um, they, they ate a chunk of time in the first quarter off of, that, off of that clock. And I really think that they decided to set the tone on that very first drive that said, hey, guess what? We're going to be in this game. Tom Brady, you big deal? Okay, fine. Uh, You know, we can do what we want to do, and we are going to be competitive all day long. Now, the Chiefs don't have to do that because they got Mahomes. But, you see, the thing that that spags for me that, that I think people really underestimate is he has not just the ability to adjust, but I go further than adjustments. Because adjustments mean you reach into your playbook and you make changes out of your playbook. Spags is an innovator. He is an inventor 
on the field. John, you talked to Antonio Pierce on the huddle this week, and and I thought it was a good spot to do, and I I don't know how much he got into. But there were so many times where players would come to the sideline and they would tell Spag something, and he would draw it up in the dirt, literally in the dirt. Oh, yeah, I like that. Okay, let's do this. And it wouldn't be anything that was in his playbook before the game. It was the, it was invented right then and there. He trusts his players enough to tell him things that they see, that they know, that they believe they can do, and he will immediately trust them enough to say, okay, let's do it. Yeah, and Paul, the one thing I did ask AP about, because I said to him, you know, AP, what is it about the type of players that Spags needs to be successful? Because we've seen him try to put his defensive system in other places, and it's been an unmitigated disaster where they're like the 30th-ranked defense, and they're giving up big plays left and well, right. the Saints in particular. Right, and I think even a couple of years when he was head coach of the Rams, right, and it was, his, it was his defensive system there. And you take a look at it, and what AP said to me is that you really need smart players yeah. that can absorb that sort of stuff, but also there's a ton of check with me's, and the way he explained it is that he wants to let the offense declare themselves, and then you make the last adjustment once you see what they do. And you need that smart middle linebacker. Of course, AP said middle linebacker. He laughed about that. But you need the other players, too, that can mm-hmm. do those checks on the fly, which take advantage of some of the things in his playbook. And, and to your point, Paul, also stuff that he kind of puts in during the game to actually execute his vision. Yeah, you, you have to be able to prove as a player to Spags that he can trust you in those spots. And he has the trust of those Chiefs. He helped them win a Super Bowl last year, which Andy Reid probably does not win if Spags is not his defensive coordinator. And furthermore, think about this. Who is the most underrated player in the Giants' Super Bowl 42 victory against the Patriots in Arizona? There's one guy James who never gets talked about. Butler. You got it. I, I, I actually asked AP about him, too. James Butler. I talked to Spags the day after when we came back to New York. And, and I, I caught up to Spags, and I said to him, Spags, I thought James Butler was sensational. And he looked at me, and he goes, Paul, in, in his little bit of a New England accent, Pal. he said, I have never given a higher grade to a safety off of a game than I just gave James Butler in the Super Bowl. Butler was – he had everybody in the right spot at the right time making those adjustments, giving out the looks. And you have to remember something. Who was the other safety? Jabril Wilson. Now, Jabril had terrific speed and acceleration and athleticism. What Jabril did not have was the football acumen to the level of the other guys in that secondary. Well, he was also the guy that he didn't play deep as much, right? He was more the middle of the field in the box type of guy. Well, too. Jabril? No, Jabril was all over the place. Jabril, Jabril was sometimes helping out the corners with his speed to help out on, on, on a double, and then other times they were sending him on blitzes. Well, 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 that's my point. Butler was the guy that was playing center field most of the game directing traffic. Oh, Wilson yeah. was doing other things. That was right, my point. Right, right. Yeah, they, they were using Jabril's physical talents, and they were using James Butler's mental talents. Yep. And, and it was perfectly fit into what Spags wanted to do. He made uh, uh, Butler as much a quarterback of that defense as Antonio Pierce was. And I don't mean to take anything away from AP, but, but Butler, and I've been saying it ever since that game ended, and I, and I won't stop saying it, James Butler was a tremendous force in that victory. And Lance, the way I see this game, and I know you want balance and all this stuff, I think both quarterbacks are throwing it 40-plus times. I really do. I don't think this is going to be a game where we see a bunch of guys running the football all over the place. This, to me, is going to be a passing game. And the quarterbacks, and obviously the receivers and the offensive line protecting them, that's what it's going to come down to. I don't think we're going to see a a close to a 100-yard rusher in this game. I don't think we'll see a 50-yard rusher in this game. Because I don't think, first of all, the Bucs have always been good against the run. They have been all year. And... Steve Spagnuolo traditionally likes to make teams one-dimensional, and I think he'll try to do that too. So to me, this is going to be a big, air-it-out, throw-the-ball type of game, even though there's supposed to be some rainy weather on Sunday. Well, the Bucks have had the number one run defense in the NFL this season, so it's very difficult to run. And then plus, remember, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had missed a few weeks due to injury. He just came back against the Buffalo Bills. He's still trying to get his legs back under him. They did run the ball 25 times against 
Buffalo, and they ran for 114 yards. So, I mean, you'll take 4.6 yards per carry. I think, though, this is a game where the running backs are going to be involved. I just think they're going to do more damage through the air as receivers because if you've noticed, Brady has dumped it off to Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Mm -hmm. Even though those two have had the case of the dropsies, they've still been effective throughout the postseason for five, six-yard pickups based on short passes. We even saw Darrell Williams be utilized as a receiver out of the backfield for the Chiefs, and he actually was the leading rusher, as I mentioned, because Clyde Edwards-Elair is still becoming more and more comfortable. So I do think the running backs are going to be involved. I just think it'll be more in the passing game. I agree. As opposed to on the ground. As far as just piggybacking off of Spags and his mentality as a defensive coordinator— and needing the players, I think he's fortunate twofold. Number one, he's been with this unit going back to 2019 when they won the Super Bowl last year. So I think what benefits him coming into this year's game, there is that much more continuity and comfort in the scheme. But I also think if you compare it to what he was working with with the Giants, he's got a nice mix of guys up front and on the back end. For example, he's got his nose tackle in Chris Jones, who also can get to the quarterback like no other in terms of interior defensive linemen. He's got Frank Clark, so he's got his good edge rusher. I think Tano Passigno is also an underrated pass rusher who's been with the Chiefs defense for a few years. And then Tyron Matthew is the type of defensive back that if I'm Spags, I love having a guy like that because as you guys were talking about earlier, you can move him around. He's the eyes of the back end of your defense, and I think that trust factor that Spags had in terms of getting feedback from Giants players, I look at Matthew the same way because mm -hmm. of so many things that he could do. If Matthew comes over to him on the sideline and says, Spags, hey, on that last drive, I saw they're doing this. I think Spags has enough trust yeah. that he'll let mm -hmm. Matthew have a little bit more freedom and flexibility on the field. And that's why I think it's working in Kansas City. He's got the personnel. I'm with you too. And Paul, you know, Lance mentioned using the running backs out of the backfield. You know, we know Todd Bowles likes to blitz. That's in his nature. He likes to bring pressure. Yeah. I don't know how much he's going to do that against the Mahomes and the Chiefs. We'll see. But you go back to all the years the Giants played the Eagles. What was the Eagles offense so good at under Andy Reid? Screen passes. I could see this being a heavy screen game for the Chiefs, whether it's the two Hilaire, Damian Williams, Travis Kelsey, the receivers where if he could get bowls in a couple of those blitzes and he calls the right screen at the right time, you know how electric those Chiefs players are with the ball in their hands? <laughs> I could see that turning into some big plays. Yeah, if if I had a chance to talk to Todd Bowles, I would advise him seriously. Don't blitz. <laughs> Don't blitz. Keep as many guys in coverage against Mahomes and the Chiefs as you possibly can. Especially when you have those two defensive ends against tackles that might not be able to block them. You know, hope that they can – what, what do we talk about a lot of times? Coordinators who say, my guy's got to win their one-on-one -on -one matchups, right? Well, he's got to go to Shaq Barrett, and he's got to go to JPP and say, fellas, listen, I don't have the luxury of being able to send extra heat in this game. It's suicide for me to do it. The, my best bet is to make sure that I play coverage, okay? Well, in order to do that and for that to work – you guys have to win more than your share of one-on-ones. So can you do me a favor and do that so that I can worry about the back end? That, to me, that's, that's his best chance of keeping this game competitive. All right, well, guys. I think he could do that because, you know, two other names that you guys didn't mention who I actually think are bigger than JPP and Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea who just came off of IR, he's not a, a really good game against Green Bay. He isn't a pass rusher, though. Generally. No, but he's a guy that can help collapse the pocket, and you can at least get some pressure for the guys off the edge. So if I'm, if I'm Todd Bowles, I'm saying to myself, I've got confidence in my front four that I don't need to bring the house on every single play and that I'd rather see Mahomes just kill me for a 40-yard pass down the field than all of a sudden see him carve us up when we blitz. Because the statistics show Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks in handling the blitz. He's actually more efficient when you blitz him than when you don't blitz him. So I think it's actually, basically, you're building your own coffin if you blitz him throughout the course of the game, and you're handing the Chiefs the victory. As That's kind of what concerned. we just said. <laughs> we're telling Bulls not to blitz, and yeah. you're saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah I wasn't disagreeing page. with you. Okay. All I was saying <laughs> I was that— I sure. It sounded like you were trying to. No, I was saying that Vita Vea and Indomitian Sue, I think, are more critical than perhaps JPP and Shaq Barrett. 
That was the point I was making because I think when you have those two guys create opportunities on the interior where also the Chiefs have had some movable parts in addition to the tackles, that maybe that could open up things for the guys on the edge, and therefore you can win the battle with four as opposed to needing extra personnel. That now, was my point. The one thing that AP did say to me in that huddle podcast, again, folks, I tell you, go check it out. It's up there, the John Huddle podcast. Go listen to it. It was a great – I did full 30 minutes with him. We talked a little bit about – um, college offenses, too, and how that kind of is going into the pros and, and, and that sort of stuff at the end. It was a great spot. The other thing he said, Paul, is that when it comes to the pass rush, and then we will get to your calls in a second, by the way, that he would tell those defensive ends, rush the passer, but you got to stay outside. Because as a defensive coordinator, he does not want Mahomes outside the pocket because mm-hmm. that's when your defense can break down and guys leak out and they get deep and you give up some big plays. So, as important as it for those guys to get to Mahomes, he thinks it's just as important to, to, to corral him and keep him in that tackle box to prevent some of those, you know, off-schedule, outside-the-pocket type of big plays that he's so good at. Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing about Mahomes, and I've, I've been talking about this in a lot of the guest spots that I've done this week about the game, is that Mahomes has the ability with his very unique arm to not only throw the ball accurately and with with zip uh, on the run, whether it's left or right. Look, this guy can throw off balance on one foot, fading backwards. Sidearm. Sidearm, (laughs) any arm angle you want. And, John, he can hit every single part of the route tree. There's a reason he's the best quarterback in football. I, I don't know that I have ever seen a more versatile arm. Forget about everything else. Yeah, yes. I agree. Does does he have a lot of smarts? Does he have uh, mobility in his legs? I don't no, absolutely. I don't want to take that away from him. He's got a tremendous amount of attributes. But the one thing that I have never seen from anybody else short of Aaron Rodgers, okay? And even Aaron Rodgers does not have the versatility in his arm that Mahomes does. I think I think literally his 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 rotator cuff and and his elbow and his shoulder, I, I think he's stolen from Gumby because it's just like ridiculous the kinds of things that that arm can do. I've I've never seen anything like it in my life. Yeah, and I think I think it's the baseball background to be honest with you. From his you, dad. Yeah, where you learn all those different arm angles and 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 all that stuff which I think is a real thing. I, I I think it's real legit, and I think that's something that we have to keep an eye on. All right, guys, we will do our predictions for the game at the end of the show. So everyone stay tuned for that, though. I think based on what we've all just said, I think you know where we're, uh, where we're leading a little bit. But just keep that in mind. So 973-667-1960, that's the phone number. Want to remind everybody that limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Hey, and while you're calling, why not ask about Giants Suites? Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, same number but different website. Visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, folks, let's go to the phones at 973-667-1960. Again, we only have one line, so if it's busy, just keep calling back after the caller drops off, and we will certainly get you up to talk some Giants football. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Coach Marvin. Coach, what's up, bud? How you doing, John? We're great. That's good. Um, Looks sound like all three of you guys are on your game today. If I was playing in this game, I'd be upset you guys giving the show because y'all hitting on all points as far as a game plan. And oh, we appreciate that. <laughs> I, I probably have to call you guys and say cancel the show because y'all talking too much. <laughs> but y'all did a good. Y'all doing a good job. I'm, I'm looking at uh, Kansas City. Um, I lived in Boston for 27 years, so I've seen Brady for most of those years that he's played there. Well, all his years he's played there, I've seen him. So I'm not a big fan of his, but I I, I like to see. I think Kansas City may come through. The only thing that worries me, and from my days of coaching, and even if I'm on the losing side, when when I played someone once in the season, I always felt that. 
when a team played each other earlier in the season or somewhere in the season, the team, I think, at times, if they're balanced as far as the talent goes, um, the team that lost may have a little bit of an advantage. And the reason I say that because the two teams, when they get when they getting ready to play the second time, the first the team that won normally is going to go back to what got them the win the first time. There's not much adjustment. The team that lost, there's going to be a lot of adjustments that are made from the game they lost the first time. So when they see them the second time, if I was playing against them, they're going to see a totally different game plan and a totally different uh, team than they were going to be prepared for. So what I would be trying to do is try to get my team looking different in the sense of saying we're going to play in a sense that they don't have the info, their coaches don't have the information to give to their players to adjust to what we're doing. So you would say, Marvin, that it's very key for Andy Reid here to also make adjustments then, right? So the Bucks don't know exactly that they're going to repeat that same game plan. And, you know, knowing Andy Reid is an offensive play caller, I would expect that's something he's going to do. And you don't but have you- to worry about Spags changing things up. Trust me. Well, plus the offensive line has changed since the Chiefs last played the Bucks. So, I mean, there's going to be some new personnel. They're going to have to do some things differently. And you know, also keep in mind, Kansas City played Buffalo in the regular season, and the Bills didn't necessarily help their cause by getting them the second time around and changing things up and having success. So, I mean, I don't know to a certain degree how much that is really advantageous. Right. And you're right. And not all coaches do that. I'm just saying normally the good ones, they're going to adjust to the errors that they made in the first game. But when um, John was talking about what Kansas City going to do, I, I really am high on what I think it was John that said it earlier. The screen pass could be damaging in this game. And uh, I think it was John that mentioned the screen mm-hmm. pass that Kansas City can pull off. And that can be one of those adjustments. And, and Andy Reid, they've been very creative with their offensive plays. So I know they have plays in their pockets that we haven't seen. They're going to come out with them when they need them. And that, I think that impresses me more about Kansas City. They, they're very creative at what they're doing. They know how to get their receivers to get leverage on the, second, on the corners. As far as you'll see Tyree Hill here going motion, then he'll reverse it, go back in the other direction, especially if you're going man. If they know you're going man, you may be in trouble. Um, and, and if they find out that you're blitzing, you may be in trouble. So they, Andy Reid is very uh, – uh, he has his teams well prepared in those situations. And Mahomes, as uh, Paul said, I've seen a lot of quarterbacks in my days. I've never seen anyone like this guy. No, he's it's a freak a flick show. of the wrist. He's a freak it, show. It, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. But uh, I just want to say you guys did a, have a great show today. Y'all hitting on all points. Thanks, Coach. All right, guys. Appreciate it, man. Go, Coach. Enjoy the game. You know, Paul, let me throw this out to you, and Lance, you too. You know, when we had Andy Reid with Philadelphia, I think we all loved his ability to game plan offensively, right, and his offensive system and all that stuff. But sometimes his game day coaching might leave a little bit something to be desired. Paul, this is something we've talked about on the air before and and also off the air. For years. I feel like he's made a lot of improvements in that area. And I wonder how much of his maybe inability to make those in-game adjustments offensively for a team like Philly back in the day had more to do with his personnel than it had to do with him. You understand what I'm saying? It's a great question, John. I have verbally lambasted Andy Reid over the years. I thought when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles, he was one of the worst big-game coaches in the league. I felt that he was a guy who players love to play for who got them prepared during the week, but then when the game kicked off, boy, he lost it. He was bad in time management. He was bad in in play selection and philosophy, did not know how to handle a game. He did a horrible job when he was with Philadelphia. Look at how many big games that they lost and should not have lost because he made poor decisions. Time management, especially at the end of the games, was something that came up a lot. it, it It was terribly sloppy. And, and, you know, the people in Philadelphia who I've talked to on occasion uh, have said the same thing to me. They're like, you know, yeah, you're, you're in the minority, but you're right. Andy Reid had a lot of coaching difficulties when he was here. Now, here's the thing. Is it more that the enemy has kind of 
corralled him and yeah. roped him in. I don't think he's doing time management, though. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about the Chiefs. I don't cover them every day, so I don't know how much influence the staff and the enemy in particular have had on Andy Reid, or is he just matured, grown up, uh, learned from his mistakes, and finally figured it out? Yeah. I know this. Until Spags got there, they were not winning a Super Bowl, and Spags helped them get one last year. And I told Andy Reid as much when I saw him at the Combine in uh, last March. I went. Out, I saw him in the hallway. I congratulated him, and I told him the best thing that you did was hire Steve Spagnuolo. And, and he goes, you're right. He goes, he's the greatest. I said, absolutely. And I said, congratulations to you once again. Remember, he had him in Philly, too, so they had yeah, that connection. Yes, he right? did. Yes, yeah. he did. But at that point, he was he was a lesser position coach yeah, he was as a, opposed to a coordinator. Well, Jim Johnson he was a was linebacker, linebacker Correct. coach under yeah. Jim Johnson, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. You know, so he, he, he knew what he was getting with Spags. And, you know, remember, it was um, – Oh, it was the former Army coach at one point was was their D.C., and he resigned a couple of years ago. Uh, he was also with the Jets. You, you guys will remember who I'm talking well, about. Bob Sutton was his yes. defensive coordinator before yes. Spags. Bob yeah. Sutton. That's correct. Yeah. And and he just, you know, he had failed miserably, and, and basically he was pushed out of Kansas City. Spags comes in, and all of a sudden now, bing, bang, boom, they're fighting for the Lombardi Trophy, so... Well, I, I think what also has helped is the arrival of Patrick Mahomes, too, because, I mean, even in Spags' first year, he would be the first one to admit the defense started to play its best football at the latter part of the season when they really started to get comfortable. And when you have the luxury of a quarterback and an offense that could put up 30 points without much stress, that takes a great deal of relief off and less stress oh, off no of doubt. the defense. Yeah, and, and by the way, adding players like, Frank Clark and Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew and Ladarius Sneed and those types of guys, that that helps too. They're also pretty good. (laughs) See, what it comes down to, fellas, is that, you know, Spags can gamble more and he can go for the higher risk, high reward plays more on defense because he has the luxury of either playing with a lead or knowing that Mahomes can come right back and put points up on the board if his defense makes a mistake. Mahomes is the ultimate eraser. Right? He, he really can, is. He can take any mistake, yeah. and in like three plays, it's gone. It's well, just, that's a great point. The offense overall is the eraser because the offense sure. doesn't need a long, lengthy drive to get into the end zone, whereas most teams need about eight or nine plays and milking five to six minutes. Kansas City doesn't have to worry about that. So, you know, once again, I'm not trying to bring down Spags, but Bob Sutton had one year as Mahomes as his starting quarterback when he was the defensive coordinator. And I think Alex Smith, you know I'm a big fan of his, but Alex Smith is not nearly as explosive as Patrick Mahomes. So I do think that was a big change in how they called the game defensively and even Andy Reid's logic and thinking. Plus, the other thing is, if you go back to his days at Philadelphia, he didn't like to run the football. I think he's also come along with the fact that, hey, now we can run the football a little bit and we don't have to have one major guy do all the heavy lifting. Mm. I think that has also been a big part of the philosophy change since he came over to KC. Yeah, they're not exactly pounding the ball up there. between. No, but they're doing it enough, I would argue, to at least stay balanced. And remember, he had better personnel in Philadelphia. He had Brian Westbrook. And there were games where – and LaShawn McCoy. And there were games where they just completely abandoned the run. Well, is it possible, Lance, that since he brought the enemy over, you know, from from he had him in Philly for a while there some years back, is it possible – is it possible that when he brought the enemy over and the enemy was was a guy who was partial to to the run game? Former running back. Is it possible? Yeah. Well, he was former quarterback with Colorado many years ago. A running quarterback, by the way. Uh, But in in the NFL, he was a running back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But is it possible – is it possible that – when he brought him over to Kansas City, that the enemy said, look, hey, Andy, you know, over your career, you've had some missteps here. This is what you need to do. I'll come over. I'll be your OC. But this is what we're going to do if I come over there. I mean, I, I, I want to give the enemy a lot more credit maybe than people than other people do. Because well, I, I see the combo of Spags has been there for two years and they're going to two Super Bowls. I see Biennemi has been there for, what, three years? No, well, Biennemi was the running backs coach for a number of years. Though, no, no, but as OC. Well, yeah, he, was the, he took over as OC with Mahomes taking over the starting job in 18. 
You know, so but I'm, I'm willing to give both staff. of these coordinators a lot of credit is what I'm telling you. Well, but I, I guess what I'm saying is Bienemy has been on staff with Andy Reid for a number of years. Yes, he may have not had as much influence as the OC, but if Bienemy wanted to go to Andy Reid and say, hey, I think we should emphasize the run, something tells me that Reid is not the type of guy that says, Bienemy, get out of here. I don't want to hear what you have hey, to look, say. Hey, look, here's the thing. I think, I, so. think, I think both of you guys are right. I think the head coach deserves credit for empowering his coordinators and listening to whatever they're telling him. And the coach deserves credit for that because the coach doesn't have to do that. And obviously the coordinators deserve credit for coming up with those ideas and, and helping implement them on the field. Yeah, so I think, well, I I think, think everyone's right. I think Andy Reid got tired of losing big games. And, you know, how many years into his career now? And it's like, hey, man, you know, it, we're getting on the backside hey. now, and I'm still not getting any rings. Well, you know what I better it's listen like. to somebody. People are stubborn, though. Not everyone is willing to do that. You're you know right. how it goes. You're right. You're absolutely right, and credit to Andy Reid for being able to uh, be pliable to, and if I want to give the coordinators credit, maybe i got to give Andy Reid credit for listening to them. Big Blue Kickoff 5 is brought to you by the new X-Series of Scratch-Offs in the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. And Giant fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. Let's go back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Cola, you're on the line. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Mark in Jersey City. Mark, what's up, pal? Uh, how you doing? I, I, I'm going to tie a bunch of stuff in together, and I think Paul kind of liked this. You know, Giants-related and Super Bowl-related. Sure, go right ahead. State of the league. Um, last week, you know, the big trade was Matthew Stafford, and there was this big, you know, hue and cry about how he's got out of this horrible situation, and 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 McVay is just this wonderkin who can lay hands and cure him of all his ills. And I'm like thinking to myself, this guy's been in the league 12 years. And I know he's been in a bad organization, but then there was that big scuttlebutt that happened afterwards that wins weren't a QB stat. But I seem to recall wins were a QB stat when Eli needed to get one win to get at 500. No, Mark, in fairness, on this show, we've been extremely consistent. We always argue against wins being a quarterback stat. I hate that statistic. We all hate that. Yeah. It's it's horrific. Yeah, it's it's. You know, it's a team stat to it. You know, it's a team stat, but you know, like there's very few quarterbacks who just can erase that. Brady could erase that. Uh, Mahomes is is the ultimate. You know, he's you know he's a trump card. He's gonna, like you said, three plays and boom, the mistake is gone. Multiple mistakes gone. But I just seem to recall that it was a it was a it was a it was a stat a QP stat when it was Eli. It but was it a big a narrative amongst most of the writers here in New York who wanted to take shots at the Giants and particularly Eli Manning. For what reason, I do not know, but you're right. There was a tremendous amount of, of flamethrowing going on. There were guys who, like every other day, wanted to write that in their stories because they felt it was relevant, which really showed nothing but their ignorance. Amongst the national people, too, no, I saw you. You're right, it. Mark. You're right about that. I, I just saw it, and I was like, wow, the hypocrisy here. And uh, I, I just, I, I would, I, you know, people point to, to Stafford's great physical gifts and this and that, and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But at the end of the day, he never scared me. Even as a Bills fan, he never scared me. He never put the fear factor in my heart like Brady would or Mahomes would or, you know, Eli would in playoff games. And, well, you know, I, I, well would... I don't think anyone's putting Matthew Stafford in that top tier of quarterbacks, but I think he's right in that next group along with a bunch of other guys. Yeah, I mean, Stafford statistically has had a very good career. It just hasn't always translated to wins, and part of it is because of the pieces around him, whether it be the offensive line, the lack of a run game, his defenses weren't very good. And also, as far as putting fear in your eyes, Stafford's made the playoffs three times. There's really not a lot to go by in terms of what he's capable of doing. That's why it's very interesting to see now with better talent with L.A., whether or not he's capable of now translating that. Yeah, Mark, I think the better question is how much of an upgrade is Stafford over Goff? That's what the ultimate question is, right? Well, physically, he's an upgrade. But, you know, I just found it tremendously disrespectful to, to, to Goff and to certain, you know, even, even coaching. Like, McVay is this great, yeah, he's, you know, got to the Super Bowl. He apparently helped Goff, this and that. That's fine. But it's tremendously hard to get a team to a Super Bowl. It's, 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 it's very hard. Marino went once and never went again in his rookie year. So people just think, you know, I just think it's disrespectful to the players that have to put in the work and this guy can just sit and call plays. He's an offensive. And people get caught into that all the time. There's this new fun thing, this coach that's just going to cure a player. 
and I'm sorry, a lot of stat, Pat, they call him Pat Statford in, in Detroit for a reason. A lot of those fancy stats with Calvin Johnson at the receiving end came late in games. They've invested a lot of first-round picks on offense. Hawkinson, Ragnow, Taylor Decker. Maybe the coaching's been bad, but the organization's been bad. They fired Jim Caldwell for no reason and went to the pencil with a moo-moo and, oh, my God, you know, in the baseball, that guy in the draft room, and look how that went. Right, but I, I don't understand what your ultimate point is here. Yeah. <laughs> My ultimate point is I just found it was it was just, you know, Stafford got a big pass. He seemed to get a big pass for all the losing. He was, he was a constituent of it. He's been there for 12 years. You and know, to seemed- some degree, and he, here's what I'm going to say, and, and please understand that I, I, I'm only using this to partially move the needle because I'm not one who believes that stats tell the whole story. I will never believe that. In fact, I'm offended by people who do. But I would tell you, when you're looking at a quarterback stat, okay, one that carries at least a little bit of beef with it, and it's one that Stafford has done very well in over the last 15 years or whatever he's been in the league, and that would be your game-winning drives, okay? You come from behind fourth-quarter performances and game-winning drives because in a situation where if you say, and, and Ernie Corsi would always say this, I knew the quarterback was a franchise quarterback. If the game was on the line, two minutes to go, he's got the ball, and he's got to go the length of the field to get the touchdown to win it for me. That's what's going to tell me if that guy is my franchise quarterback. And obviously he felt that way about Eli. Matt Stafford, when he's been in those types of situations where it was more on him to try to pull something out of the fire, his percentage is pretty darn good. He's done a very good job of bringing teams back. Now, again, you can't look at that stat in a bubble because you need the the receivers to make the catches. You need the offensive line to hold up and let him make the throws. So I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying as that stat's the be-all, tell-all. But at least there's a little more something to it because it reduces the sample size of games and says, look, in games that they were getting hammered, and there's nothing he could have done anyway to lift the team above the fray, we're going to throw those games aside and just say, okay, forget about it. What was he like? What was his ability to pull something out of the fire when he was given a legitimate chance to do it? And Stafford's actually done fairly well compared to most other quarterbacks in the last 15 years. And I want to – go ahead, Lance. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say he has 31 fourth-quarter comebacks. That's tied for seventh with John Elway all-time in NFL history. So, I mean, he's a top 10 in that category. And, you know, the last caller was bringing up a lot of names that the Lions have brought in. Granted, they did. But, you know, you could argue, well, if you have Calvin Johnson as your number one wide receiver, you should be winning a lot more games too. So I, I don't think it's fair to just pin it on the quarterback. And this narrative that, you know, Stafford got a pass, I don't understand where he got a pass from. Detroit, are they giving him a parade? I don't see anybody in Detroit giving the Lions a parade considering that organization has been at the bottom of the barrel for decades. So I I just, I never understand, well, this is getting a pass or this player is getting a pass. I don't see Matthew Stafford getting a pass because the results show that the Lions haven't been going to the playoffs very often. Oh, I felt like you got a pass from the media that said all the losing was just the Detroit organization and the lack of this or that around him. Well, that's but there's I mean. a lot of factors why Detroit hasn't won football games. Well, so I don't think facts. that's a bad a sentiment in terms of showcasing that from a national stage. Well, you know, I believe that Tom Brady had a lot of factors against him in New England. I mean, he didn't have a lot of weapons and a lot of this and a lot of that. I think it reflects in their record this year. I just feel Stafford is a lot more closer to golf than people made it out and i just didn't like the okay. double standard there i didn't like the double standard against qb wins was an eli problem but it wasn't for stafford that's that that was my ultimate point oh, i, I got you turn it into a bash matthew stafford because i think he's, talented. <laughs> he's tough as hell i mean he, he you know he played a, he, he he wanted to go play a game you know with a dislocated shoulder i mean yes I, yeah that's an, that's incredible incredible right. and i Thank just you, thought bro. that the, the now finish up it's okay no, I just thought that the um, gets a what Paul was just talking about with the enemy. I, it was a travesty that the guy get, didn't get a head coaching job, and I feel like the way this league is with the quarterbacks floundering around, just the market and the coaching hiring cycle was just awful. Some of the guys that got jobs, I'm sorry. Honestly, he Mark, here's what the leagues need to do, and everyone wants to make this about a bunch of different factors that everyone knows about. The guys that go deep in the playoffs don't get head coaching jobs anymore. 
because teams don't want to wait a month, five, six weeks to, to get that guy in the building to get working. I really think that's a big part of it now. They don't, teams do not want to wait until the second week of February to hire their head coach. They get antsy. They don't want to sit with nobody doing anything in their building for a month after the season's over. I think that's a big factor here. I mean, you see it. You know, teams that get that get knocked out by the second round, those are the teams that are, are going to lose coaches. But teams that go to the championship games, look at Brian Dable. He didn't get a job this year. And the teams that go to the Super Bowl, and Paul Lenz, maybe you guys disagree with me. My feeling is that teams just don't want to wait that long to get going on hiring your head coach and, more importantly, putting your staff together which can be very difficult if all the good assistants are off the market from the guys that get hired earlier in the cycle. No, it's it's a very big part of it, John, and they've tried to alleviate that a little bit now with the day Thank off you, and the bye week and, you know, you can do an interview, or, you know, but it's still an issue. Yeah, but they can't even accept the job. Like, Correct. Like, at least let the guy accept the job, you yeah, know what I mean? Can't do that. I that know, that, that they haven't budged on. Well, you look at Kevin Stefanski was hired very late last year. And, you know, at least for the first season, things worked out well. That's probably the outlier. Brian Dable did go for a few interviews. And then it became a huge storyline. I remember leading up to the Chiefs game, the media that week was just mm-hmm. peppering him with questions. Are you committed to the Bills? I mean, it doesn't put the candidate in a very good position when he's trying to prepare for a conference championship game and he may want to now pursue a coaching opportunity. So, you know, I'm totally fine with them changing things. I mean, I don't see them making a rule where they say no team can make a hire until after the Super Bowl. No, I don't the, see that either. Because then teams who have fired a head coach in the middle of the season, they say, well, wait a minute, the whole point of us making the change was to get a head start and now you're telling us we have to now wait to compete with the others so there really is no ideal solution but I completely disagree with the sentiment that just because Eric Bieniemy didn't get a job this offseason means that the other candidates weren't worthy of getting a job I'm sorry I just I don't see it that way and I have no disrespect against Eric Bieniemy I think he's an excellent candidate but just because Bieniemy has been painted as this favorite because he's within the Chiefs' offense doesn't mean that somebody like David Culley, who spent 27 seasons in an assistant, doesn't deserve an opportunity to become a head coach. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, these narratives that we make up, because the hot name didn't get the job. I just I disagree with that. Yeah, I don't think it's take I don't think it's fair to take shots at the other candidates based yeah. on who didn't get a job. And look, there are other factors not. too. We have no idea what the reasoning and thought processes are of these organizations, so we're not going to speculate on that. But to me, timing is always an issue. Like you mentioned, Stefanski got hired late, right? Well, they only got to the second round of the playoffs. I haven't gone back and done the work. Maybe I should. I don't remember the last time a head coach was hired after the championship games or after the Super Bowl. I feel like it's been a while, right? Hmm. Well, yeah. I'd have to look at when. I mean, I believe Stefanski was hired in February, if I'm correct. Was he? Was it that long? But that, 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 that was then a choice by the Browns because he, they were eliminated in the second round of the playoffs. Well, the Browns didn't even make the playoffs I mean, last year. The Vikings were. I'm sorry, because he came the Vikings, from the Vikings. Yeah, you're That's talking I mean. about. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, they also took their time with the process and so forth. I'm looking up. He was Let's see. You know what? I, I, I look back. December 20th by the, by the Browns. Well, it says he signed this contract in mid-January according to what I'm looking at. So it was a little bit earlier than I thought. But I know for a fact he was the last guy. That right. actually was officially hired. Well, that's my point. If you look at the cycle. If it's mid-January, that's after the divisional round. So yeah. I think it's very tough for these teams to wait till the, you know, after the championship games, one more week, maybe you can deal with that. But you got to wait three weeks oh, till after the Super Bowl? I mean, it, 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 it's a long yeah, it's go. Nasty. It's nasty. It's a long go. And then, of course, you have, like, the Josh McDaniels situation with Indianapolis. Which you is know what the problem is else. here? By the way, and that's the other thing. How much do you think that scared teams, Paul? No. Where John, they came to, like, okay, we can't announce it, but McDaniels said he'll come coach us. He's, like, putting the staff in place, and then he bails. Yeah, exactly. The, the problem is everybody, who, from whatever angle they want to look at, they look at their own individual angle to, to fit their narrative in a bubble, and they say, oh, this can't happen because, or this is happening because of this. And they're ignoring all of the other factors and all of the angles in the prism that go into the situation. It's very easy to isolate one particular particle of the equation and say, this is wrong, this is unjust, and this is why this is happening. But you can't isolate one particle out of the equation because the equation has got multifacets to it. And, and when you put all the facets together, it's really, really sticky. Yeah. 
It's just that's just the way it is. And it's ra- sticky, and, and Paul, there's no clean answer. And rarely is there ever one reason for anything. And sure. I think that's and, and that goes for everything. When you're determining why a team's bad, why a team's good, why a coach doesn't get hired, why a coach gets fired, it's never one thing. Everyone tries to boil it down to one thing. It's never actually just one thing. Hey, Giant fans. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the new X series of scratch-offs in the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Caller, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, it's Scott from New Mexico. Scott, hey, what's up? Uh, I just put a ton of money down on Tampa Bay, and I did it for one reason. Uh, because, Brady, because, because all of us are picking the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Who holds the record for the most passing yards in a Super Bowl? Uh, it's Tom Brady against the Philadelphia Eagles, if I recall. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Who holds the second? Who, who's second on that list? I'm, I'm guessing it's Tom Brady, based on your You're question. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> who, who has the least amount of interceptions in the Super Bowl? Tom Brady. Well, is that true? That is true. That yeah, can't that's... be. He, he's played in so many. He can't have the fewest interceptions in Super Bowl history. 48 uh, attempts without an interception. Oh, oh longest inter- non-interception long, 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 streak. Right, I got right, you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he has the most yardage of anybody in the Super Bowl. Granted, he's played in nine. But when you look at his weapons on uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Evans, uh, Godwin, and Gronkowski, he has guys he can throw to. He has Fournette in the backfield. Uh, I don't know where Tampa Bay and Kansas City finished defensively. I think they were sixth or tenth, I think. Tampa they Bay, were both in the top ten in scoring defense. Both in the top ten? Yeah. I just don't see, uh, and I've watched. I'm not discounting what you said about Patrick Mahomes. He's still the best quarterback. But Scott, Tampa no, was Tampa was fourth. Casey was sixth. Okay, I would never bet against a guy like Tom Brady, and uh, and the amount of money I put down was sizable. <laughs> so I think, uh, based on what you guys were saying, I think the the pass rush is going to make the difference for both teams. Uh, I think if. They can stop Chris Jones from going up the middle, which is the way I think you beat Brady. I think then Kansas City has a better shot, and I think if they can stop uh, the two uh, linemen from Tampa Bay, they have a better shot. But I just think uh, Tom Brady is the it factor. And no matter what series you put him in, and I'll I'll, I'll end it this way, if you had to pick between the two quarterbacks, Mahomes and Brady, and you only had a minute and a half left in the game, which quarterback would you choose? And uh, have a good weekend, guys, and uh, we'll wait to see what happens on uh, Sunday. Thank you, Scott. And this is a perfect segue, actually, into our predictions for the game. So we appreciate the call. Thanks so much. Enjoy the game as well. And I'm taking Patrick Mahomes. And I want to stress this, and I was going to do it at the end of our opening segment, but I wanted to get to the calls because we had a bunch coming in. To me, guys, my decision to pick the Chiefs in this game, and I think they'll win this game 34-30, that's my prediction, has nothing to do with not believing in Tom Brady. <laughs> it has everything to do with the fact that he's playing Patrick frickin' Mahomes <laughs> and against almost any other quarterback, you know, maybe not named Aaron Rodgers. You know, I think you give the nod to Brady and, and, and so many other quarterback matchups. But in this game against Mahomes, I'm not picking against the Bucks because of Tom Brady. I'm picking against the Bucks because of Patrick Mahomes, and I think there is a distinction there. Yeah, I, I like uh, Kansas City. Uh, I've, I've kind of waffled on this, 31-23, 34-26. I see it at least a touchdown game. Again, could be some backdoor points by Tampa that would close it, but, but I don't see Kansas City's margin being anywhere near a field goal. I just don't. I, I, I like them too much in this game unless they throw it away and get sloppy. Well, the Chiefs' defense is far from a shutdown unit. So, I mean, Tampa Bay, I think, is going to have some opportunities to score. I obviously like Kansas City as well. I gave them 20-plus points, Lance. I mean, come on. Who called them a shutdown? Well, for, for what, the Chiefs you're talking about? You, you said that you, didn't, you, don't, you don't think Kansas City's defense is a shutdown defense. Yeah, I don't think there are. Right, and I just yeah. said I could see the Bucks scoring 23 or maybe 26 points. How's that a shutdown defense? Yeah, I wasn't. Paul, why do you get defensive every time I bring up a statement or a fact? I, well, I because many times you'll, you'll happen to, to, to talk right after me and say something that's totally, like, incongruent. 
No, but the, the purpose is is that I could see it coming within a touchdown because I think Tampa Bay is going to have opportunities to score. Okay. So it wouldn't stun me if Kansas City wins by six or Kansas City <laughs> wins by three because I, I don't think they're going to roll over them. I think the Chiefs are a better balanced team, but I don't think that Tom Brady and company are going to struggle immensely finding the end zone. That was my point. That's fair. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not calling I, And I think the Bucs will get said. their share of points, and so by we the, agree. And by the way, I will say this, and this is the build on what both of you guys are saying. The Chiefs better be careful here because if it's just a one touchdown game, Paul, to your point, and Brady gets the ball back with under two minutes to go, <laughs> all bets are off. Because I would not put it past Tom Brady to just march down the field and, and tie the game. He's certainly capable of it. No one's going to say otherwise. <laughs> I think, you know, it also depends on the situation in terms of the coaching decisions, too. Remember, I think the Bucks got fortunate by Matt LaFleur deciding not to go for the touchdown in the last game. Who knows what position Brady would have been put in if uh, the Packers decided to go in a different direction. He's more than capable of coming through with the big play, and that's why I don't think Kansas City is taking this game lightly. I think that their philosophy is the same every game. We're going to go in, and 30 is our magic number. I think if the Chiefs could get to 31 to 34 points, I think they feel pretty good. And I think that you know they could win this game 34 to 28 or something in that ballpark because I thought 28 was the magic number of the NFC Championship game. Tampa Bay got just over that, which gave them some cushion. So the Bucks, they've got to be thinking the same thing. We went up against one of the best offenses in the NFC. We got in that 30-point barometer. We've got to get there again against Kansas City. If yeah. Tampa Bay has to settle for that 26-point area, I don't see them walking away with the win because I don't think the Bucks' defense is going to hold the Chiefs to under 25 points. Guys, it's all about – I mean, red zone is going to be, be a big part of this, it's right? It's going to be huge. Yeah. I mean, you, you, this is not a game – where you're going to settle for field goals. And, Paul, this goes back to our Andy Reid discussion, right? I think, first of all, we know Bruce Arians is very aggressive, and I think Patrick Mahomes' presence has also allowed Andy Reid to be a lot more aggressive, right? Because, oh, if you don't convert a, if you don't get a field goal here, you don't convert a fourth down, all right, well, if he'll just go score a touchdown the yeah. next drive, it's not a big deal. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of punts in this game. I think we're going to see a lot of going for it on fourth down, even when maybe people are like, wow, I can't believe they're going for it here. Because I think, Lance's point, both these teams are going to put points up, and I think both coaches understand that field goals probably are not going to win this game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that sentiment for sure. My, my only hope is that, you know, it stays within 10 points throughout and that the game is cleanly officiated so that we don't see either a call or a non-call that is so blatantly, obviously wrong that people have an opportunity to, to just, like, you know, rip it to shreds. Paul, once again, stressing over an anticipation of something that he has no control <laughs> I know, I know, but, you know, come on, John. We've seen it again in this postseason. I know. We've, well, we've seen some very I'll bad it. mistakes. I'll take it. It's part of the game. It's the human element. There's gonna be Yeah, it's real fun. It's real fun to see the game destroyed by no, a bad No, it's not. Goal. It's just it, it's, that's the reality of life. Paul, think about it. This is, this is a dream for Lance. He has rain at the game. He has the officials deciding the outcome. I mean, this is like the ideal Super Bowl for Lance Olmos. <laughs> it's not the officials I know, determine I'm, the outcome. I'm They're kidding. always involved in the outcome oh, of the game. I People know. just can't understand that. No, you're right. Not and this is and you're right, and it drives me nuts. The officials not throwing a flag on what should be a penalty is as much the officials deciding the outcome of the game of them throwing a flag on a penalty. Yeah. yeah. No, well, they, it, it's they, the they, same they, thing, guys, in the NFC Championship game when there were a lot of fans that said that they shouldn't have thrown the flag when clearly they were grabbing the jersey, if you remember. Yep. Well, you can't throw the flag because there's two seconds left in the game. So it's okay for you to throw it in the first quarter, but now all of a sudden when the game's on the line, you want them to forget the rule book? Yeah, because that makes a lot of sense. No, no I, I agree with you. Now, a penalty's I a penalty I if it's real. Yeah. I, now, I would have liked for them to maybe call a couple more of those earlier in the game when there was some more yeah. grabbing on wide receivers and stuff like yeah. that. But, yes, I thought that one at the end of the game was extremely obvious. And they had – look, if you're in the middle of the football field and you see not once but twice a jersey get stretched out as much as it possibly can because somebody's pulling on it, like if you don't make that call, you're going to get downgraded by the league. You have to. By the way, John, you know it is an all-star crew that handles the Super Bowl, but but referee Carl Sheffers is uh, usually with his crews, and again, he's directing the crew. So it's not his crew, but he's directing the crew. He is amongst the top three this year in terms of penalties. 
Really? He, he, oh, yeah. I didn't know oh, yeah. that yet this in week. In terms of volume of penalties yes. you're talking about? Yes, okay. in terms of volume of penalties. Do you have a breakdown on what he calls a lot I had, I had, I had it all this week. I'm going to go off my memory here. Yeah, but you know what, though? Remember, that, that you're right, Paul. That's going to be dependent on who else is on the crew, though, not necessarily yes. him. Now, he gives them direction. He tells them what to emphasize and what to look for. Yeah, but now, here's the thing. As the referee, he is standing in the in the offensive backfield. Yes, okay. So he he's going to control offensive holding, correct? And and he's also going to control things like intentional grounding. Anything involving the quarterback or offensive holding, that's his. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, roughing the passer is another one that have a big hand again involving Mm -hmm. the quarterback. Yep. The pocket, the pocket, and and the offensive line. Well, it just so happens that uh, two of his three most penalized games that he did this year were with the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. He hit them up a bunch for, for, for offensive line infractions. So just kind of keep that in mind. Okay, final prediction, guys, before you say goodbye. Give me your game MVP and why they win the MVP. I will go first. Uh, I believe it'll be Travis Kelsey. I think the Bucks learned the hard way in that first game. You cannot play man-to-man defense against the Chiefs when Tyree Killer won almost 200 receiving yards in the first half of yeah, that three game. Three touchdowns, yeah. Yeah. You, you just can't cover them one-on-one and man-to-man. So I think they're going to play a lot of zone, and when teams play a zone against the Chiefs, it's Travis Kelsey time. So I think he might not have the volume of catches he had against Buffalo, but I think he'll have that type of impact, and I think he'll also catch a couple touchdown passes. He's a big target for them in the red zone. So I think Kelsey's my MVP for the game. I agree with you 100%, John, every single thing that you just said, but I'm going to add one other thing to this. He's going to catch over 100 yards. He I agree. Will have, he will have maybe a few more catches than you suspect, and he will go over 100. But but I think he is going to wind up being the unstoppable offensive force by the time the day is over. Well, right. But my point, though, I think he had like 13 catches for 100 yards against the Bills. Like, he might have eight catches for 112. He might have more yards per catch, but fewer overall catches. Yeah, you know they, what they, I mean? Yeah. He, he's going to wind up being the big factor in the game. I agree with you. Well, Kelsey is such an integral part of their offense. I would expect that that to continue unless Tampa Bay just has the secret weapon to slow him down. But they do not, I still by the think way. <laughs> Mahomes is going to get MVP. I think if you just look at Super Bowl history. Uh, you yes. want the easy way out, Meadow. Well, no. There have been a few wide receivers that have won the Super Bowl MVP. I'd be curious. I don't even know if a tight end's ever won Super Bowl MVP. I don't even know if that's ever I happened. I don't think it's ever happened, right? Happened, right? Well, so, I, I think mean, that would right. be a historical note. If that does happen, I just think that more often than not, you know how the voting works. If the quarterback of the offense produces what it typically does, they reward the quarterback. Now, I and will you know, say, I will it's s- going to only help Mahomes' narrative if he wins two Super Bowls in his first three years as the starter and has more head, you know, hardware on top of that. I just, I, I yeah. think they'll lean towards Mahomes now, if the, John, both of them have good games. I will Give say that this, man a car. He's I, right. No I, tight ends ever won no, Super Bowl. He's right. I'm looking at it, too. They yeah. have not. And, well, so that makes our prediction even bolder, Paul, which I like even more. <laughs> um, but and hopefully we're right. But I also think that Mahomes has already won this thing once. And I think once you start giving guys MVPs and lands, you can go back to this during the Jordan years where he probably should have won MVP of the league every year. Oh, please. But they just got tired of giving it to him because they don't want to give the same guy the MVP all the time. <sighs> You're and by the regular season yes, MVP. Yeah, yeah, but generally well, speaking. because he won finals MVP all six. So. Okay, well, you know what? That that's actually a good point. So 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 maybe it doesn't necessarily apply to the Super Bowl, but I do feel like they like to try to give it to somebody different once somebody gets that award the first time. But you know what? I'm looking at all these. Well, it didn't slow it's, him down it, for no, giving it to Brady. It no, you're <laughs> Look, right. It doesn't. It didn't. You're right. It's you know gonna what? Be maybe I'm wrong. You could be right for no, a bunch I, of these I, I folks not to go with, with the flow. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I mean, it's just that once again, you look at the last few winners. It took an unbelievable defensive performance by the Seahawks, okay? And the Broncos. And the Broncos, why Malcolm Smith and Von Miller yep. won. Mm-hmm. Okay, look, Foles won it, Brady won it, and then in that New England Rams game, let's face it, neither offense was impressive. I mean, you could have made an argument. Maybe they could have given it to somebody on the New England defense as opposed to yeah. Julian Edelman. Yeah, sure. So, you know, once again, if this is a clinic, as I think the three of us would agree, we expect there to be a lot of points in this game, I just think that's going to favor the quarterback. Nah, you're probably right. No matter who comes out on no, the No, you're He's, right. Lance, you're right on this one. It probably will be Mahomes, but I think that it'll be one of those things where, you know, uh, sometimes people say that the wrong guy got the Super Bowl sure. MVP yeah. just because he was the highlighted Hollywood star. 
That happens a lot in the well, Super Bowl. Why don't you go in-house here? How about the Giants Super Bowls? Can't you make an <laughs> argument somebody other than Eli? Sure, you could have. Right? Well, you don't want to get into that with me. We'll be here for another two hours. Well, I thought, okay, so then, well, you may not feel that way, but I don't think it's crazy to think of a, another guy in particular that may be warranted Justin the MVP Tuck, trophy. Justin Tuck, I thought, could have won it one exactly. of Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, apparently I hit a sour point yes, here. Yes, yes. And point. by the way, it's funny. That actually popped into my head, and I said, you know what? If I bring that up, Paul's going to go for oh, it. Oh, well, you know minutes. me. I'm not going to hesitate because well, he's going to take my head off no matter what well, I say anyway, John. I, it's not so bad. It you know, you also want the show to go 90 minutes if it could either, so it's a nice combination for you. <laughs> Everybody, thanks for joining us on today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's all presented by the new X Scratch-Off series from the New York Lottery. Thank you for being with us. Of course, it's part of the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of this show and all of our podcasts at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and your favorite podcast platforms. Find the subscribe. And, of course, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star positive review for Lance Meadow, for Paul Dottino. I am John Schmelk. Enjoy our last football weekend until probably August, maybe September. It's going to be a long haul, folks, but have fun on Sunday. Should be a great game. Enjoy it, and we'll talk to you on Monday for another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live.